to the Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real life stories. Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Market a Choice is a proud sponsor of the Meaningful Marketplace because we believe in the power of local craft makers to reinvent the way food and beverage products get to the market in Oregon. Our vision is to inspire, mentor, support, and assist local producers to reach their fullest potential. For over 40 years, Market a Choice has been supporting our local farmers, ranchers, fisher folk, and entrepreneurs. We believe the way we source products has a positive ripple effect across our great state. That's why we're proud to offer over 7,000 local products to our stores and that the majority of our purchases support our robust regional food system. Thanks, Market Choice. Yeah, thanks, Market Choice. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to Masonia Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear stories of food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Masoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. Sarah, how was your week this week? Well, it's gone by fast. I know. <laughs> Super fast. I saw you um, were cooking over an open fire in your yard. That's right. <clears throat> I successfully determined that um, Jet Puff marshmallows are definitely the best ones on the market. Do not buy the generic <laughs> ones. Well, I know when you sometimes if you go the other way and you try to buy organic ones, <laughs> they're not as good either. <laughs> now, if you're going to do marshmallows, just get the craft one. <laughs> one of those things. It's like maybe one a few where it is that way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like blah. So, yeah, we did. We built a fire. We used some birch logs that we harvested from our yard and we I cooked um hot dogs and beans on the fire in our backyard I saw that it looked really fun I think that um right now people are having to get innovative with what they're doing since we're not going out and going camping we kind of did the same thing and just went fishing in our inside of our house did you see my video <laughs> where we were fishing in the house because we couldn't really go out to a lake so, you know, we're all doing what we can to try to stay positive and still have yeah. families. Yeah, well, exactly. I have a little bit of food news today. So it comes in the form of a trivia game for our listeners. Ooh. So if, um, if somebody wants to message me the answer, then they will receive a free hot sauce gift pack. So I want to know which one of our past guests just released an ebook this week so sarah i know you know and don't say it <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna be like do i get a call <laughs> yeah so, so if um that's our trivia question who of our past guests released an ebook this week 
We're going to tell you guys the answer next week and um, tell you all about what book it is. But if you just DM um, Sony and Marshall on Instagram, you can claim your prize and we'll announce the winner next week. So if you're a food entrepreneur and you have food news for us to announce, you can um, submit those either at startupradionetwork.com or you can just message us, Smithsonian Marshall on Instagram, and we will help spread the word about any of your events or new products or awards. That's cool. Did you have any food news, Sarah? Uh, No, but I'm going to throw a jar of strawberry jam in there. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Our trivia winner will get sauce and jam. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. Did you try your new jam pot yet? Uh, actually, I filled it up and I took it across the street. I filled it with water and I took it across the street to water um, my neighbor's plant that was dying in the heat wave the other day and it worked great. So (laughs) I thought I got to wash it out anyway. So I might as well take the water and use it for that poor little plant. Yeah. You're saving the day with one jam pot at a time. That's right. I'm going to make cherry. I think I'm going to go get some cherries and make some dark cherry jam. Oh, yum. Yeah. I saw cherries at the farmer's market. So all the berries berries and things are coming in. So this is time to get going on your jams if you haven't started yet, everybody. Yeah. Well, we are joined today with some special guests, and they probably know a lot about jam and lots about wonderful organic produce. So we're joined today with Judy and Paul Fuller. They are the owners of Sweet Creek Foods, located in Elmira, Oregon. They produce small-scale organic products, usually using locally harvested organic produce. Welcome, Paul and Judy. Hi. 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 (laughs) We're good. It's good to have you here today. Yeah. We're glad to be here. Uh, We want to help connect our listeners to you. So what's the best way to find you? Can you give us your website and your Instagram? Well, it's www.sweetcreekfoods.com. My Instagram, you know it more than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Your your Instagram is um, at Sweet Creek Foods, and we'll uh, we'll tag you so that our listeners can find you. (laughs) (laughs) you. (laughs) The older they get, you know, the less tech savvy you are wanting to be. (laughs) Dinosaurs of tech, we get by though. Yeah, no, I was, I was really, when I um, found your Instagram, I was like, oh, they have one. Cause I didn't know if you would at first and you do, you totally do. And you're, um, we were, I was talking to them before we aired and they have somebody who runs their Instagram that works at their office, but they weren't sure about it, <laughs> but you do yeah. have one and it's wonderful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> lovely, lovely Laura, the office queen. She's great. Perfect. That's well, great. Doing a great job. <laughs> Well, we um, want to help tell people about your story. So a good place usually to start is just in the beginning. Um, but I know the beginning for you guys goes before you even had the business, but you've been oh, yeah. working in local organic food world for a long time. So you want to just start telling us about it? Uh-huh. It was a long time ago when we started to have kids. I needed to figure out a job and plumbing didn't work. Electrical didn't work because it took too long refrigeration came up well then i did i did this one cooler for what used to be riverbrook farm with tom and dave lively who were part of the starters of organically grown company out on river road i built it put it together and it didn't know what i did 
And so then I start. I went to LCC and learned refrigeration. Well, from that led into finding walk-in boxes for farms. And then finally, Chuck and Sue Kesey at the Springfield Creamery, they said, I said, hey, I want to learn. I'll go cheap and I'll fix your stuff. And they were in Springfield at that time. And that's where it all started. Then I started working for all the natural food businesses in town and farmers for their walk-ins. I started the original Oasis store, um, Springfield Creamery, rebuilt them when they burned down and organically, then grown. organically grown. I bought them their first walk-in cooler and worked with them for 20 years. And then their first Clackamas, their big Clackamas one, I generaled that and put that together. And, you know, when they finally could afford new equipment is when I quit refrigeration. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you know, I've been in the backs of all these businesses and everything. And Jude and I, we've been canning forever. You know, we had, like I say, the one story I always have is when my great aunt Laura gave me at 19 or was it, 20, I think it was 20. She gave me a $9,000 check for inheritance. And I was the broke hippie on the commune. And the first thing, the very first thing I bought with that money was a 44 quart all American pressure canner. That's when I met him. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and we learned from that. We learned that you don't do 108 uh, quarts of green beans and not add salt. <laughs> Big mistake. <laughs> and we went from there. And then I've worked, you know, in the natural food industry, you know, getting all the coolers going and everything for everyone for a long time. And that being that job almost killed me because it was too much, you know, on call all the time. And so I've always had, we've always had the idea of making food. And since it was, nobody else was doing what we were going to do, we made a, a glassery, which is a cannery, but we use glass. Yeah. And you told me a story once that you collected boneyard equipment and oh, you yeah. pieced your, can you tell us about that? Well, oh, he still does collect. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, uh, Dwight at Newman's Fish, I was doing work for him and I started and there was, in Portland, you guys may know, it was Cornell's Custom Cannery out off of Columbia. Well, they used to used to be, back in the time, they were canneries, small canneries where people could take peaches and everything is, and canning. And he was canning uh, salmon and tuna for Dwight. Well, I called him up and he said he was going out of business. So we ended up buying three retorts off of him and some other equipment. And... That's where it all kind of started. Then we um, we on our place. We got 50 acres. We built uh, a processing, small processing facility, which has morphed from what 1,600 square foot to almost seven or eight thousand square feet. Wow! And um, but I, in my adventures of refrigeration, my my forte was um, buying used equipment and rehabbing it so people could afford to install it and then i would service it so through that i found all this equipment that would normally cost thousands and thousands of dollars and was able to you know put steam kettles canners conveyors boilers refrigeration all the stuff needed to jar all kinds of stuff and it just went from there and i, I still do fix the equipment and do all the plumbing and all that stuff and those big corporate stores, they change out the equipment on a regular basis, whether it's broken or not. They just, and it's like brand new to, so he was, he helped a lot of businesses get started on a 
on a dime compared to what it would have cost news. So, you know. So then we got it going and Zach, our son was in high school and we put a half acre of cucumbers out there because pickles were what we liked. And that's where we started was um, organic pickles. So he grew about five, 6,000 pounds a year. I think he was 17 when he started. And uh, basically, uh, yeah, we started packing then. And then it was Brian Roeder from, uh, well, he, down here was Oregon Homegrown Meats. And we knew him when he first started up New Seasons. And he really liked our pickles, but he said they were too soft. So we had to go back and I learned how to crisp them up. And then New Seasons has had our product in there ever since. And to know that Sweet Creek Foods one time cornered the organic pickle market for the whole country for six months. We were the nice. only we were the only organic pickle. Yeah. Cascadian Farms stopped making pickles and we and then that's how we got on everybody's shelves. They we took we took shelf space that they had. So it was perfect. Perfect timing for us. And <laughs> and from there we just started we you know started making all kinds of things. So I mean we make 30 different products from tuna to applesauce to pickles to jams to enchilada sauce. We can put anything in a jar. And our, our big thing is we've always worked with Northwest farmers for our products. And it's always been, you know, Anthony Bouchard gets our blackberries. Gathering together farm, we get jalapenos and tomatillos. We work with the Nava Farms on Eastern Washington. In fact, on Thursday, our first load of 8,000 pounds of cucumbers are coming in for our pickles. So we're getting ready for that. But it's just been a... A growing thing and um, we really like the size we are and we self-distribute to about 150 stores from San Francisco to Bellingham now and they're all the smaller stores all the natural food stores and we really have kind of avoided the big boys you know just it's been one of our pleasures to be able to make enough business through the smaller companies so we like we like our life the way it is you know we could we could go gonzo and and get the big stores and make our life crazy, but we've chosen not to. Well, um, you guys compared to most of our guests are actually pretty big. <laughs> Cause the, when I looked at all the different places that you were distributed, I was like, well, they're working really hard because you had, you know, you can go to your website and it just kind of lights up at all the different States that you can get your stuff, which is really cool. Cause it means that you're distributing really awesome produce from this area all over the country, which is really neat. Well, the only people that Azure Standard is the only distributor we work with. So that's how it gets to other places. But we really are is the I-5 corridor. Yeah, that's where we that's where we we work with Hummingbird Wholesale and other companies. They have extra stuff on extra space on their trucks. And we've worked with them for a long time. And it's a special arrangement, you know, and it's been really good working with other local food businesses. That's cool. Are you guys um, from Oregon? Like, how'd you end up in Elmira? Well, she's yeah. a notation. Well, I grew up about three miles from where we ended up, which, you know, I moved around different countries and, and then came back here and realized that I was living in one of, grew up in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. So, yeah, and I ended up meeting Paul in Venita, which living on the commune. So uh, just happened that we ended up, Finding, you know, one of the nicest places that we could. And 
for for a song it was a mess when we found it but uh it was clear cut and and our friends were not really they didn't think we could pull it off but we did and <laughs> i'm a, us? I'm a yeah yes i was gonna go back to the commune can you tell us about the commune because mm, folks hear about communes but not a lot of us have had an opportunity to participate in or live on a commune and yeah, I was this is mine this is mine <laughs> um, <laughs> life on the commune our commune was uh, a special one it was like you know eight or ten people but we were pretty anarchistic in our tendencies and there was no leader or anything like that we had some uh, I met them in 1978 and when the rainbow gathering happened in, I, I just moved to this area. And well, I was living in Eureka at that time. And I met Abe and Jamie and uh, we had, there was five acres out in Benita and we were all, we rebuilt this house there piece by piece. We tore down other houses, recycled the wood and we were all carpenters and other things. And, you know, it worked for a while, but then 82, 83 is when, uh, or just a little bit before that, there was another kind of depression here where no one could get work and it kind of went its own ways and we stayed around and got married, had kids and lived in Eugene for a few years. But the commune, what for us was just the, the adventure of working together with people and the energy that you could do working together was amazing. We would literally pick up a building 10 by 12 there was enough of us, we'd pick it up and move it to someplace else. <laughs> <laughs> and it was fun because, you know, we had people that did a, you know, huge garden, uh, you know, and then there was, there was uh, a couple kids. So the moms did the kitchen. Uh, they liked that. They, you know, made incredible meals. We all ate together. Uh, there was music every weekend in the living room. And um, it was a lot of fun. And, and that's how we met Tom and David Lively, who were some of the co-founders of Organically Grown. And we, they lived on there and they were growing vegetables on the farm and every, uh, on our land. And that's how we met them and, and Keith Walton and Jack Gray and all the people who started Organically Grown. We were all kind of there together. And we built houses out of little, uh, Paul lived in a little uh, root cellar, didn't have a floor. Uh, that's eight by 10 little log house, which we live in a bigger log house now, but kind of ironic um, with a little tin Lizzie in the corner and a waterbed. And that's where we started. But every time we came back, since we had all this lumber from building, tearing houses down, we, we just added on to the cabin each time we came back and I learned how to build a house. <laughs> so the tearing down of houses was the work that you did. So you did that out in the community. Oh yeah, is that right? Well, we 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 got the lumber for free. Is what we I did. I see, and that's so that's cool. what we did then. And and through that, we that's when I used my quarter. You know, that's when we learned to can, and we canned all kinds of stuff. And then when Jude and I moved on, we just kept canning, and we would can three hundred this, three hundred of that for the year. Salsa, we grow. Judy it was an it's an incredible gardener, and so you know we have wheelbarrows full of tomatoes. The kids would help us and. I had a meat grinder we called Godzilla and we would make salsa right there, bring in a wheelbarrow of tomatoes and, you know, putting food up and doing food was all has always been in our life. And so 
it was a natural to move on to Sweet Creek Foods because, you know, we knew how to do that. And plus, canning means, you know, it lasts for a long time. So once you put your food up, you've got three, four, five, six years to be able to eat it if you do it properly. And it was wonderful that way. And that's I and being the refrigeration guy I was, I did not want to make food that was going to be in the cooler. I knew what the coolers were. <laughs> and to have to make products every 10 or 12 days and have to work the coolers, I could see that that wasn't where we wanted to go. And so in Sweet Creek, we canned. And so that's what we do. And our products can be on someone's shelf or in other ways. So it's great. And I grew up with lots of canning. My grandma canned, my mom canned and helped her can. <laughs> when I was um, doing research on you guys, I knew instantly that I liked, I loved you because you remind me of my parents. <laughs> because they, um, they also are old hippies from, they were from California, but, um, but bought land in Southern Oregon with a bunch of friends and, they never loved for me to call it a commune, but it was exactly what you're describing where everybody builds their own little houses on the space and grows everything. And that's how I learned how to can. And, and I mean, that's what inspired me to start my food business. And so I think it's really great that all those family values that you learn can be passed on through the generation. That's what it sounds like your, your son is involved in the business. And I think someday my, my daughter does the same thing, but it's like a nice way to pass on those those values of, of canning and a family and. Yeah. No, Zach's our operations manager. He's in there. He's done rest. He's invented recipes and Jude's invented recipes and we I've invented recipes. You know, we, we, we tend to go for the recipes that are simple and, and what people want to use on a daily basis. We, that's why, you know, it was kind of funny. We got the, uh, our raspberry jam, got the good food award when it was just beginning. Because and we managed to win because it was just good raspberry jam. Now anything in the good food, you have to be some kind of you know raspberry jam with a whiskey sour or something else <laughs> <laughs> to win. Actually, so, you know what? You guys should put your stuff back in the good food awards because I always end up judging the preserves and the. We've tried. It just we just don't have that. That you know, well, she's eccentric. a judge. Well, a judge. We <laughs> sent our tuna in. We we'll sent our that. pickles in. I sent my jam in. But it's always some kind of you know, even the you know, it's always some kind of thing with a, a little pizzazz to it. And our our products are designed for people to want to put in their larder and use on a daily basis. Yeah, daily. And that's what we and and they want to eat it again and they want to go to the store every week and buy another jar. Yeah. And it's not a gift. But it's, it's true, Sarah. We have not entered in quite a few years. <laughs> because this year, the best thing that was in there was a Seville orange marmalade. And people just don't know how to... They entered stuff, said it was jam, and it wasn't even high enough sugar. Like, they don't even know it's misbranded and wrong information. So, right. yeah. Well, we can't call ourselves a jam because we don't use enough sugar. We're a fruit spread. Yeah, that's FDA. The FDA guidelines say, you know, that's but, you know, it's got sugar and pectin in it, but it just doesn't have enough sugar. Well, and food awards, you know, now we have the barcodes and, you know, going through the stores, they want all of that stuff. But the good food awards, they're looking a little more more micro business, I think, aren't they? 
I don't think, I don't know if it matters. I'm yeah. not sure. Sarah knows the details because she has yeah, to be yeah. the judge of all of it. You, you guys mentioned your tuna and I, um, I ordered some of it. Um, so just so people know, um, for ordering, if you're doing online ordering right now, cause I know a lot of people, at least in the Portland Metro area, um, I found it on Whole Foods. They were, they delivered wow. it to my door. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I was going to say, I was so excited to find that you were making canned tuna. That's just with tuna. So I, you know, I mentioned I was a big canner and canned a lot, but I'll tell you the last time that I canned tuna, I was pregnant. And everything is just, your senses are so heightened that it made me so, so nauseous. Oh, yeah. I, I was never able to do it again since then. And I've, I tried a couple times and it just brings it all back up. <laughs> but now, now I know I don't have to do it because you guys did it for me. <laughs> so I'm just going to buy your tuna from now on. And just for everybody that's listening to this, uh, you don't want to really do it in your house. <laughs> your right. house will smell like tuna for weeks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's it's a yeah. project. And we get, you know, we get tuna loins because we have them fillet. We, we, I, we get our tuna straight off the boat. I go to Newport and it comes right out of the hold. And we use a, what's called a blast boat, which they catch the fish, bleed the fish, and then they put it in a minus 30 degree hold. So it right there on the boat, and then it comes in, and we'll get like, well, we got what, 28, 30,000 pounds this last year. And so I, we unload the boat, and I throw it in my truck, and we run like hell to over to Snowtown and put it in there. <laughs> and then we bring it back out and have filleters fillet, and then we pack it all ourselves. So, and we're, you know, we're one of those unique people. We do it in a jar, not a can. Our tuna is, yeah, we get emails. Uh, we have fans. Yeah. I love that. Well, I was really excited to find it. I didn't, I hadn't heard of it before and didn't know that you did it, but so everybody knows they can just order it right from Whole Foods. Yeah. And you don't want to drain the liquid. That's done all your omega-3s, your oil. Part of the you pack it raw, so yeah, then it's cooked. So we don't add any water or oil or anything. That's so cool. People, I don't know if people are used to that because they're so used to it being in a can with a lot of times either olive oil or water. But this way, when you do it at home, which is exactly what you guys are doing it, you're just doing it on a little bigger scale. Yeah. Um, you All that stuff is, is in there and delicious. So the canned tuna you buy in the grocery store, they pre-cook the tuna, then they pack it into the cans oh, and yeah. add, yeah. Well, they're probably taking oils oils out of it to use it for other products too. Probably, yeah. So you're losing. Like I say, Starkist. You know, once you have ours, Starkist is more like cat food. It's for the kitty. <laughs> We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about some of the other products that you guys make. Okay. Sounds good. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace. Committed to serving all Oregonians with the mission to advance the science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. We are inspired by the creativity of food innovation, new economic opportunities, and new experiences because food brings people together. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> and we're going to um, talk about some of the other products that you do. So we talked about the jam that you make, right. and the tuna, and um, other things that I ordered 
today was um, your tomato basil sauce. Oh, right. And I ordered um, the hot organic salsa. And I'm going to try that one right now. I haven't tried it yet. It just got delivered. But, you know, I love spicy stuff. So. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, we have our pickled jalapenos and we, we're now doing a jalapeno relish. Oh, so if you really want the hot, hot stuff. That's do that that's one. Really oh, good yeah. It's awesome. It's but we use, we use fresh tomatoes. See, our salsa, we only make once a year. Oh, yeah. And we it's only... Good. And we only, use, we only use fresh tomatoes and we bring them in, grind it up, and then we pack it right there. So we're kind of better than a lot of the fresh tomatoes salsas on the market because they use canned tomatoes. They use canned tomatoes, yeah. I, I noticed it's right away that. Sweeter. It's a little bit sweeter of a profile. Yeah, it's really good. And it's spicy. I got the hot one. It's spicy. Okay, good, good, good. I'm into it. The hot's three I love times hotter than the medium. So, yeah. yeah. If you like the spicy, our jalapeno relish. That's you know we we've been unfortunately our farmers like to grow big jalapenos, and they don't fit in the jar very easy anymore. And oh, yeah. so we were trying to figure it out, and we came up with jalapeno relish, which is pretty much the pickled jalapenos just diced up like that's a relish. It. Yeah. And, and it works out good. And we use different varieties, so that's why there's a hot and a medium. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then our enchilada sauce came from, we were working with Groundworks Organics down here, doing with Gabe and Sophie. And uh, we were trying, we were fools, and we were trying to make tomato sauce for farmers using their slicer tomatoes, which doesn't work because there's so much water in slicer tomatoes that by the time you've cooked it down and you're spending, you know, four or five hours of cooking it in the kettle and you add it all up and it's still runny and it's, you've only gotten... You're down to about 40% of what you started with. So Gabe decided he we'd ground up and froze up a whole bunch because we have a finisher, which takes the skins and seeds out. He just decided he didn't want to do anything with the, the tomatoes that we put up because all the farmers, they always have extra tomatoes. And so they don't know what to do with them. And we were looking to do something. So we were grinding them up and freezing them up, hoping they would come back and make something for their farm stand or their CSA or whatever. And so he left us with about a thousand pounds plus of um, uh, slicer tomatoes frozen. And I was going, what are we going to do? And so enchilada sauce just popped up because you add the spices and, and thicken it just a little bit and it, it's perfect. You, you don't lose anything. And so we did that. And then we went to, you know, then we went, decided to do a green, and uh, that's been really popular. Enchilada sauces have been really popular. And uh, yeah, and we also cornered the market on organic enchilada sauce. I just want you to know that for a little while. <laughs> we've, been, awesome. we've, been, we've cornered a few markets only to watch them, <laughs> you know, as it's discovered. And so that's how we invented that one. And then, you know, we started looking, okay, we're getting all those Roma tomatoes. So our tomato basil came up and then... Um, you know, just beets. Uh, wait, wait, tomato. Tom, our tomato sauce is like one of the only tomato sauces on the shelf that doesn't have sugar. So we add a little bit of carrot, and that because yeah. uh, because without the sugar, tomatoes have a tendency to <laughs> hold the bitterness. You know, yeah. and so the carrot is added to. It kind of takes it away. It, it kind of takes it away, but yeah. a lot of people and a lot that's, of people. That's like how my mom it. made tomato sauce my whole childhood. <laughs> <laughs> she just throws some carrots in there 
Yeah. yeah. Right. And then uh, the beets, the pickled beets, with everyone liked sugar and cinnamon and all kinds of crud. And we just did simple pickled beets. We. Judy. Judy. That's Judy. That that's, that's her recipe. <laughs> Good job, Judy. Beets <laughs> are awesome. Don't have a salad without them. <laughs> and we dice them because farmers didn't know what to do with four and five inch red beets because all the people in the market, they wanted the small beets and the red bigger beets are perfectly good. And for us, we get them, we peel them, blanch them, peel them, and then dice them up in our dicer. And that made it easy to put on salads. And plus then we could use what a farmer couldn't sell otherwise. And, you know, we've, we've done that with a few things where we're, we're kind of working with the farms to when they, you know, they, everything, there's always a, you know, there's always, they always produce more than they can sell half the time. And so we're, we're kind of a good place for them to do a good field run and get product that they can't always move along. And, you know, it's not, it's not bad at produce or anything. It's not distressed or anything. It's just everyone overproduces. Well, and it stays in the field for another two weeks. So then it gets bigger you know, it's not always, then it doesn't sell at the market because it's too big and, you know. And we do applesauce and we're, you know, we're always coming up with other ideas of what we're doing. And we're making some taco sauces under another name, thinking that, you know, Zach was going to do that. But we have kind of put that, it's out there and we're selling it, but we're not, we haven't been able to push it too hard because all this COVID came in and everything else. And yeah, our son, you know, he's creating his own business, Maggie's Kitchen. So that, oh, yeah, uses uses more of our kitchen time and, uh, you know, creates something for him. And then we do make co-packing, yes. Oh, I was just going to say, can you tell us about your co-packing? Well, we co-pack, we, we're kind of the beginning co-packer because we, you know, are... Don't do that. <laughs> what, what, we're, you know, we're not the big, huge co-packer. What we do is we, we worked with a lot of people and Judy is, uh, we start them out and a lot of the farms, we do a lot of farm stand stuff. I mean, we're always looking for that co-pack we could do for a long time. It's just, you know, we're never wanting to get into making 10,000, 10 million jars in a day, you know, and because a lot of people, they, they're off and they want to go into the nation and go over and go national. And we just don't want to get that big. So we've helped a few people get started and we have good farms like Anthony Bouchard. He comes down, him and Carol come down. And it's one of our favorite times. They come down, bring lunch and we sit there and make jam three gallons at a time with no pectin. And he has, you know, eight different you know, four different berries each time. And we pack jam for him. And then we do um, Mount Hope. And we've done several co-packing. And we offer it as a, you know, a lot of times we help people get started. It's it's kind of one of those things, though, we would like people to be more informed before they come to us. Because a lot of people don't understand how tough it is in the food market nowadays. And they need to understand a little bit more. And we try and pre-educate them. So, I mean, do you know your market? Do you know how much you're going to sell it for? Do you know where you're getting your ingredients? I mean, you know, and, you know, people have wanted us to co-pack uh, pickles. And the hand pack, we just can't, you know, it's just one of those things. It's too expensive to do it for someone else. Because by the time you're charging them for what it's really worth, it's, 
they can't sell, you know, they're having to charge too much on the store shelf. And, yeah. and then you're working for people that uh, they're used to doing like maybe 50 jars a day. And all of a sudden you're, you're saying we need, we need you to make, you know, three to 4,000 jars in one day, you know, to make it viable for us to even start the kitchen up and have our employees there. Yeah. yeah a lot of people, they're not quite ready for that jump, you know, and we're small in the world of Copac because we run a, you know, we run three seventy-five gallon kettles, and everyone else is, you know, one hundred and fifty, two hundred, three hundred gallons, and you know they're much bigger, and so it's, it's kind of one of those things. But you know, Sweet Creek is getting bigger, and so we're always there, interested in helping someone Copac. Jude's made an econ or Copac one hundred and one which is a packet that we send out to people to say, okay, you know, these are the things you need to know, know your ingredients, know, I, you know, we want them to be educated. We're not going to make your recipe. You need to have your recipe. Well, and years ago, I sent it to the food and you guys asked for it at the food innovation center. And I yeah. it there. I don't know if you ever used it. But. <laughs> uh, we, you know what I did? I actually, um, took a look at it and I talk about it in my class that I teach on Friday afternoons. Right. Do we get royalties for that? <laughs> <laughs> We're all waiting for royalties <laughs> checks to come in. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, we're, we're also a business that we like the size we are. And we're not at, we're not looking for a national presence because I've you know some of the businesses I've helped doing refrigeration I was personal friends with the people like what you know the Keezys and other folks and uh, it, I just watched as you get bigger sure you're selling more and you're getting bigger but sometimes the smile kind of goes away from your face when you're dealing with people who are you know kind of number crunchers and everything yeah. else and you just see they look at food very differently than what you started out being and we like the idea of the food the machines to fit the food we're doing not the food to fit the machine you know it's like they you get to a point where you you know the tomato has to be this perfect thing like i i tried thinking okay we're gonna get rid of hand packing you know because we use little big you know every every size and so there's this called the sorburn soburn tumble filler and i'm going oh this would be perfect and he goes yeah all your pickles have to be with one or within one or two millimeters of each other and we're going that won't work <laughs> and then he's going well there ain't nothing out there <laughs> you know and you know we're taking a field run from the from the farmer so it's just because field run for them is it's still all the quality but they don't have to sort and we use it all. And that's why we make relish and things, because then we can use the larger cucumbers, which are fine, but they won't fit in our jar. And so we've tried to work with the farms and work with the food we have and find machinery that will do what we need, but not make the food fit the machine. And that's kind of an interesting thing. When you get bigger, it becomes the food fitting the machine rather than the other way around. That's really true. Well, and I think what you guys do is really unique and special because even, um, you know, when I very, I started 
my business about nine, almost 10 years ago now. And um, when I was kind of looking at co-packers in the beginning, I didn't know about you guys or your facility until actually you were booked for this show. <laughs> so, but I, when I went and talked to people, there wasn't anybody that would do organic co-packing with local produce. Everyone was like, right. no, we get everything sent in and that's crazy that you would even want us to do that. And so I ended up not doing that and just making it myself. But, um, but I think what you're providing is really unique and really special. And so I hope the people that find you are the perfectly right people that understand what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it, because, um, it makes so much sense if that's what you're passionate about is using everything that you're getting from these local farms. Right. And that's, that's how we've just thought about it because, you know, it, it, it just makes sense. I mean, you know, and, and I learned from Chuck Kesey when I was doing refrigeration from them, he was one of my mentors of equipment and food processing because we would sit for hours talking about different things. And when they were smaller, you know, uh, Kit and Cheryl have taken it on and it's gotten bigger and more everything, but you know, he would use used equipment and I, I just learned the, the family feel that they have and we brought it into what we do. And it just, and people need to make things, you know, we need to make things around here. You just can't have everyone else make it for you because you send it off to China. It's like, you know, some of the tuna people, they buy the tuna here, send it to Thailand, have it made there and then send it back. It just it doesn't makes make no it sense easy. at all. It makes no <laughs> sense, but that's, that's not sustainable. Yeah, it's not sustainable. Yeah. And to be a regional processor is more even more sustainable because you're using what's available within a few hundred miles of you, rather than depending on what comes out of Chile or somewhere else, mm -hmm. and then depending upon someone else to make the ingredients for you yeah. because your quality goes down and everything else. Yeah. Well, I think it's really wonderful what you guys are doing. And I'm so glad that we found you. And now I know about you and know about your products. I think it's really yeah. great. No, life has been I, good. It's been good for us. I have a kind of a funny question I ask people. I was wondering if you could choose anyone to be a spokesperson for your business, who would it be? Oh. <laughs> I've been to conferences. I've talked. I've 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 made you know points and unpoints with different people. You know, just uh, telling them where I think you know the food system should be and other things. And no, I you know I I have my opinions of how it should be. And you know I I like people to make things. I you know I, I encourage people to start making it themselves. And yeah, it's a hard road. Yes, it's hard to pull the equipment together and everything else, but it's what then you understand what you're doing. And it 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 just it creates a bond and plus it's a system. Our food systems need to be more all the way straight through and more simplistic, you know, and that's why we self-distribute rather than work through distributors, because one, we can afford to pay a farm. I can we we buy strawberries up here or by raspberries that we pay much more than what we can get out of California or Chile or somewhere else, but the quality's better and everything else. And it just, it just makes sense to work hard to do that. And a distributor wants to take 25% plus all this other margins 
Got markups. That's one of the things that we train people on co-packing. You understand what a margin and a markup is. Very different. And yes. uh, But it's just that way it was enabling us to pay more for our, pro- our produce that we get. And it gives us that leeway in there for us to make some, some funds. And, you know, we're always trying to stay affordable on the shelf. We're not the most cheapest. And we're not something that we're trying to sell a $10 jar of jam, you know. But so competing with all the berries that are coming in from other countries, and it it is. I mean, it's it's uh, hard for the farmers to even compete. I mean, you know, how are you supposed to compete with you know third world countries? Well, and one of those things was you know we when we do our strawberries that the we get mostly June berries or very ripe the everberries you know because they're coming straight off and. They're not meant to be shipped. And so when we make strawberry jam for us, everyone loves it because the smell is just wonderful. It goes throughout the whole process. We made some for a, a co-pack from some, uh, for someone, and he brought up California berries. And it was such a difference. It was terrible. They, there was no smell to them. They were pink. And yeah. just, it was, you know, it was just such a difference. But they were cheaper, you know. So it, it just, it's, it's remarkable of, the, the quality of ingredient and how you use them and what and what has happened to that. You know, unfortunately, Oregon June berries are a hard, a very hard competition against what's coming out of California. And, and when we do co-packs for people, a lot of times they're looking at, at price. I mean, of course, we all look at price, but, you know, we have to inform them, you know, you, they need to be connected with their ingredients. It's not us. We don't order a lot of co-packers will order their ingredients for the people, but we have the people order their ingredients unless we stock those ingredients because uh, you need to be connected with why Why am I getting it so cheap? You know, oh, well, that flavor was terrible, but it was cheap. Made more money on it, but nobody bought it again, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, we, we uh, let them buy their ingredients. And it's good for someone to know their ingredients. We like them to be responsible for that so that if there is an issue, they own it. And they, they actually own what they're making. And, yeah, we get these people calling up and say, I want you to make this. Tell me what your recipe is. Tell me what tell me what, what a, a coming out of the end price is. And I go, well, that's not how we work. We want you to have your recipe. We want you to know your ingredients. And then we'll work with you on that level. But don't ask us to make a barbecue sauce just because you want to get on the shelf with the barbecue sauce. You know, that's just we don't work that way. So a lot of co-packers do, you know. I think that's good, though, because it keeps people connected to the product that they're making. So it really, even though you guys are are fulfilling the process, it's really their product that comes exactly. out. Because they have to be passionate about it to right, have the business right. be sustainable. And we work with this Laura Ellis of Mount Hope Farms and, you know, she's won some awards down there, good food and stuff. And it's really fun working because she's very passionate and she goes to her farmers, get the berries. Mm-hmm. And we have, her, you know, and she comes down, connects with us. And most co-packs, we have the people there the first time around. So that basically when we're going to make it, we know their process and no, you can't sit and you know cook something for 10 hours simmer it for 10 hours it just doesn't work in our facility so okay come down let's work this out and will this work and so 
it, it, it basically, they are aware of what we make for them from the very word go. And, it, and, and, and that's what we like. We want ownership. You know, people need to own, they want to make it and sell it. They need to own it as well. You know, it's a good thing. I have an operations question because we might have people listening who say, how oh, that's really cool that a husband and wife could have a successful business for so long. Can you give us any tips or tricks? to doing this well uh, sense of humor there were times there were times where you know i could like my first our first capping machine i you know bought it cheap and rebuilt it and painted it and did all the good stuff and i equated to you know you buy a 57 chevy flatbed fix it all up and make it all pretty and primped and painted you know, you've spent more than probably a new truck and it's still a 57 Chevy flatbed and it mm -hmm. worked like that. And so we've learned that certain equipment we you have to you have to either buy it very nice, you know, in a new in a in a used condition that works or, you know, as we come along, we have bought some new equipment. But, you know, food processing equipment ain't cheap. You know, I mean, it isn't cheap at all. And um, we just okay. Changed so, what about working together, husband and wife? See, I thought that's what the question was. <laughs> you changed the subject to the fifty-seven Chevy. Let's let Judy answer. We work really well together, and we've always worked together. And I mean, he did the commercial refrigeration, and I raised the kids, but. Um, you know, we've always done adventures together, you know, to make money and it, it flows pretty good with us, but not everybody's able to do it. I get a lot of phone calls from couples that, you know, they're not able to work together very well and ask how we've and, done it. And Jude has been an amazing person in the office, creating systems and stuff for us to work in. I mean, it's like with the labels. I mean, we went to a graphic said that we don't want purple mountains. Where do we get purple mountains? We want an oval this way. Where do we get an oval that way? And finally, she just got really after spending three or four hundred dollars or five hundred dollars each time, and and they couldn't. And we even and she and even one time she wrote it all down. Hey, here's exactly what we want you to do in making this label. They still couldn't do it. So she went and learned Adobe Illustrator and creates all our labels. In fact, she helps other people create their labels now. That's and cool. We, we, bought a, we bought a label printing machine. So for farm stands and for farmers, we can run 500 labels, 1,000 labels, and you know be affordable at that level, and we can do it quick. So they just give us a PDF or whatever, and Jude can adjust it. She knows all the, all the rules, where things have to be, the structure of the label, which, you know, FDA, and if you read the CFR book, the boy. And so uh, the labels, when I realized that, you know, I love art, so why not do the labels? I didn't know how to turn a computer on. And so that was the block. And so I realized that this was something I needed to do. And so I just kind of dove into it. And now I'm on the computer all day, which wasn't my plan. But um, I'm good at numbers. I'm, you know, it, I, I fell into the position rather well. So I, I like what I do. I analyze numbers all the time. I, you know, but the art, you know, that was uh, the beginning of the computer world for me. Plus what's different with our business, we're ordering in a season. 
And so Judy has to sit there. We we have an inventory that like right now we're buying our inventory is going to last us all through next year. Oh, there you go. Here she goes. So this is hers. <laughs> Paul's dad, when he just passed away at almost 99 years old, he was the one that told me how to do Excel. He sat down with me for maybe two hours at the most and showed me. And now I have Excel sheets that are so extensive, but it, it's been the success of our business. It's, I mean, just being able to have all of our recipes plugged in where one number changes and then they all change to like how much I need to buy for the full yeah. year. That Sarah uh, helped me do that just recently. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so important. She's really good at it. And I was like, it's like she was doing magic when I was watching her do it. I was like, I just use a little piece of scrap paper and like a calculator. <laughs> Excel's been the savior. Yeah. But being the seasonality, it's she's gotten really we she has to project, okay, are we gonna grow ten percent? Are we gonna grow five percent? What are we gonna grow for the year? Because when like with Anthony, when we order our blackberries, it's one time for the year and that's it. And you know, this kind of with this COVID and things, some inventory has gone faster than we were anticipating. And it's kind of like now we're kind of going, whoa when we usually make it, it's kind of, we're kind of going to be sliding in maybe, you know. So people are eating at home now. And so I almost had to throw a dart to figure out how much to increase our production for next year. And I just went with 70%. I mean, you don't want to run out and you don't want to have too much, you know, and we hope that it's the right number. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, it, it's just been a wild ride with this COVID, um, you know, how that's increased our business. Because we've just been happy with, you know, 5, 10, 15% increases. And that's been a good, steady, easy to function. We can handle it. And we only have four employees in our kitchen. And so, and they're able to produce three and a half, four thousand 4,000 jars of jam a day from the berry right through. And, and you know, like right now we're... On Thursday, our first 8,000 pound load of pickles is coming in. And so we have, we have, we go up to a crew of about eight or 10. And unbelievably, we found five people who want to work. And so it's been great. So, um, but um, it's just kind of one of those things of we, we own an inventory that's way beyond what we make right now. And that's not most food businesses. They can buy as they need to go. So if they, Oh, we doubled our business this month. Well, we'll buy more next month. You know, like buying flour or whatever at my bakery or whatever. They, they're used to that kind of supply chain, and it's just not what we do. We're a seasonality, and we have to – what we buy for the year is what we buy for the year. And when he said we have four employees, that well, that's not correct. But we have four people that work in the kitchen. I don't want to – yeah. We have uh, – there's eight of us all together including us. Yeah. <laughs> well, you guys, I hate to say this, but we're out of time. Hey. <laughs> it's I been fun talking. talking. I really enjoyed yeah. talking with you guys. It was yeah. good. And, uh, and Sarah, Sonia, I, both you guys, I, you being at the Food Innovation Center has been a really a good thing, and you've helped me out a few times, and I appreciate that a lot. Well, I'm glad. 
nice to connect the face with yeah the, you and mark Daschle nice. have been uh you know instrumental in a couple questions and directions and uh, i miss mark a little bit but you know yeah he retired i know <laughs> I, I wish they had replaced him someone there with someone with his knowledge base but well you know it's hard to replace an icon yeah, <laughs> that's true. You are one. You are one too. <laughs> Marketed Choice is Oregon's largest independent family-owned grocery store with 10 stores in Oregon. It's all about choice. We focus on having a wide selection of the finest and freshest conventional, natural, organic, local, and health-conscious products. We have more than 1,300 teammates, including real, authentic chefs, bakers, butchers, cheesemongers, florists, and more. We all strive to create an authentic, relaxing, enjoyable shopping experience with our customers and truly care about the communities where our teammates and our customers live and work. To find the Marketed Choice nearest you, visit our website at www.marketedchoice.com. At Marketed Choice, we buy local, so you can too. All right, you guys. Well, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, well, thank you. We record Missoni and Marshall weekly. Tune in live every week, uh, Fridays at 9 a.m. On Find us on your favorite podcast platform. Search for The Meaningful Marketplace on iTunes. Thank you to our audio engineer, Alon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message via Instagram, Missoni and Marshall. Until next week, thanks for joining us. Committed to serving Oregonians with the mission of advancing science that lives at the crossroads of conservation and production. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are inspired by the creativity of new food development. We strive to find new flavors, new economic opportunities, new experiences, and honor diversity. We are proud sponsors of the Meaningful Marketplace because good food brings people together. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.